When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy Podcast. Podcast. With your host, Paige DeMakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Week one was very interesting in the NFL, but we still have two games to go on Monday Night Football. TDN Fantasy Podcast, Paige DeMakos, Jake Arians, Jamie Eisner. And unfortunately, we have a lot of injuries to discuss as well. A lot of a lot of big time injuries that are going to impact your fantasy lineup going forward. We have hype or not. We got five guys that we're going to discuss whether or not we continue to see these trends going up, or if this was just a one week thing. And then obviously some takeaways from the weekend, seeing as this was a I'll just say interesting week one, right? So we'll leave it at that, guys. How are we doing this morning? Hmm, about as good as you are. <laughs> Jamie, how you doing? Uh, better than you guys, but uh, it's it, it's what a weird weekend. It's I, I'm ready to talk about these games because this happens every year, and we always fall in this trap of completely overreacting to things in week one. Uh, there's plenty that we have learned that we need to discuss, but there's also plenty of noise that in two or three weeks we'll forget all about. Yeah, we learned that the sun came up in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, the the sun did come up in Cleveland, and we will discuss. Uh, we will discuss. I mean, as that much game. as the sun does ever come up in Cleveland, but sure. it doesn't go down permanently till like October. So yeah, we're, it's good. <laughs> we will we will discuss. There was a lot, obviously, that happened, um, but it is called Overreaction Monday for a reason because everybody in the NFL will overreact to one week, specifically this week, because it is the first time that we're seeing all these teams, and it seems like we get more overreaction in Week One than we do on any other week because it's our first taste the football very excited yeah. exactly. we have nothing else Everyone. to compare it to page yes we have nothing else to compare it to we're very excited it's been a long drought for everyone um and everyone hates the preseason and everyone hates the preseason even more now because nobody plays but maybe there's an indication that teams need to start playing some of their guys because a lot of sloppy football across the nfl first thing we're going to start with here guys is the nick Foles injury because he is out indefinitely with a broken left clavicle. They traded for Josh Dobbs this morning. Uh, Garner Minshew looked pretty damn good in that offense. Let's start off with how does this injury impact the Jaguars' offense from a fantasy aspect? Jake, I'll go to you first. You know, it's interesting because I would not, we all were on agreement that Nick Foles was not that much of an upgrade from Blake Bortles. Uh, the, the pass that he threw to Chark on he got hurt on was a spectacular drop it out of the sky pass that Chark made an unbelievable catch. But Gardner Minshew came in and broke the NFL record for a minimum of 15 attempts, completion percentage of 88%. It was throwing dimes all over the place. So he didn't go down the field that much. The biggest thing to me was Leonard Fournette against a really bad defense didn't have that good of a day. He looked healthier. He looked more explosive. Um, I don't know that it changes everything. I don't know that it changes fantasy values that much for anybody across the board. D.D. Westbrook was supposed to have a huge day. It was okay. Chark was the guy that really broke out, and Jamie talked about it for weeks as a sleeper. He looks really explosive. He's a guy at LSU, great run after the catch guy, deep threat. Uh, I, I think maybe he's worth taking a look at, depending on because he's a young guy, maybe he caught more passes for Minshew in the 
in the preseason. They're trading for Josh Dobbs. I don't know that it changes a whole lot for them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I don't think it changes really anything. Leonard Fournette would have had a better day if the Jaguars weren't down by 6,000 at halftime. Uh, it, look, he's still, again, 5.1 yards per carry for Leonard Fournette, which if you've kind of watched him play, you know he has not been a good yards per carry guy in his NFL career. So that's a little bit encouraging. Extremely small sample size. He looked good, though. He looked good, though. He, he looked he, The 20 pounds, you could tell. He looked more explosive. He looked more like he did come into the league. So I, there's there's optimism there, and we all know how I feel about him. So that's for me to say that he, he looked good. And caught four passes as well. To me, I think the only the only thing that would change in this offense, it might put a little – I know he caught a touchdown late, but a little cold water on the D.D. Westbrook hype because I think a lot of that was a Nick Foles to D.D. Westbrook talk. Uh, but we don't really know who Gardner Minshew's guy is going to be. Um, so we'll see what ends up happening there. But otherwise, I don't think this changes the Jaguars' offense that much. Uh, I do think we need to talk about how – this Jacksonville defense is just not going to be the Jacksonville defense everybody wants them to be and the defense they were a couple years ago. Uh, look, Patrick Mahomes was limping most of that game. Tyreek Hill got hurt very early. Uh, the Chiefs offensive line was nothing special, and they still couldn't hold them under 40. So this defense is just not – I know that the Chiefs are a great offense, but this defense is just not going to be what people want it to be. See, I, and I'm going to say there's a little bit of an overreaction Monday there. I agree with you. They didn't look quite the same. But Andy Reid and openers and bye weeks, they schemed the hell out of that defense. I mean, Sammy Watkins couldn't be more wide open on the one touchdown. I mean, that was Andy Reid masterfully putting a game plan together. So I'd say pump the brakes a little bit. I still think that defense is going to be fine, especially if it's in a closer game where they can continue to run the ball on offense with Fournette. But I agree with you. They don't look, they don't look quite the same. Yeah, I think the issue here is with Jacksonville, we expected them, you know, it's really hot, humid. You're expecting them to be able to, like, maybe the Chiefs offensively are not going to get it going as much as they – I looked up. I wasn't watching the game. I had it on looking at scores online on the plane, and it was 7 nothing. I think, it, 35 seconds into the game. I mean, I was like, what the hell is going on here? So I think we all thought that Jacksonville's defense could be a top five potentially, or a lot of people did think that they could be there – do you guys think they can get to that point, or are we going to overreact and say, like, no? I, I watched this game. I watched a lot of this game, and it, the numbers will sometimes tell a lie, especially when you just look at the box score. When Foles got hurt, it changed the complexion of this game because it was 14-7. They were coming back. They kicked the field goal. Kansas City was kind of pulling away, but they were hanging in there. They were moving the ball at will. When he got hurt, it changed. Now, like I said, Minshew played good. I thought he looked really good. He didn't throw an incompletion for, like, a quarter and a half. But it definitely changed. They were hanging in there. Then they had this stupid Miles Jack fight penalty. Like, what are you going to do, dude? They're, like, they should have just let him go run back on the field and get get thrown out of the league for whatever you were going to do. Um, but they were hanging in there. The box score doesn't tell the whole story there. I think this defense is still going to be pretty solid. They have the talent, but we'll see. I mean, we're now – it's not just one game. We now have 17 games that tell us that they haven't yeah. been as good as they've been a couple years ago. So we'll see. Uh, again, I didn't expect them to shut down Kansas City. I expect Kansas City to win this game. I picked them to win uh, on the pre-show, but they didn't do anything to slow them down in the first half of that game and if this was a closer game I think Kansas City might have put up 50. Yeah no not wouldn't be a surprise especially with considering Mahomes 
uh, airmailed a pass because he was no looking and airmailed Travis Kelsey. You had Tyreek Hill injury. You had obviously Mahomes with an injury. He was hobbling around. So they definitely took care of business, uh, not at 100% full strength. The next thing we have to talk about, I would love to skip this story uh, because I have I have reached my capacity of Antonio Brown, but it is such an important story in the NFL. One, because we just watched the New England Patriots absolutely dismantle the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, on Sunday Night Football. And now that offense that won the football game 33-3 to is now going to add the best wide receiver in the NFL in Antonio Brown. Used to be. One of the he's, best. Uh, he's up there for sure. He's up there. And until proven otherwise, he's at least top three. Jake, I'll go to you first here. Let's start with Antonio Brown's fantasy football outlook. Uh, and then we'll talk about Tom Brady and the Patriots in general. If you have him, you're excited as hell because there's no better place he could have landed. Uh, and Tom Brady's outlook, like, I don't know how I got him in the what 13th round of our draft other night. I'm, I'm, I'm shopping him actively right now. Um, they look great. I mean, I think AB takes that Philip Dorsett role, and Philip Dorsett finally looked like a first-round pick. Uh, but, he, you know, AB is leaps, bounds, and years ahead of, of Philip Dorsett. I think they move him around. I think they'll play with two slot receivers occasionally. Um, if AB, and this is a big if, can pick up the nuances, and I think when you hear Tom Brady, every time they asked about him, we need to get in here and we need to work. We need to learn. We, we didn't have a training camp together. we got to get in here and we got to – we gotta learn. We gotta get the, the nuances of this offense. We gotta we gotta learn. Like there's a message there. Because there's a question on their part of how much he can pick up. They could put a scheme in together that they could play. He he'll play this weekend, he'll have a package, he'll probably have six or seven catches. But I think as the year goes on, if he keeps his act together, the fantasy outlook is huge for this offense and for A B. There's a reason that Tom Brady said that Antonio Brown is going to come live at the Brady household until he gets himself settled. Uh, listen, Tom is. I no hope he was kidding because he will regret that. Yeah, I, I don't think he was kidding. Uh, I wouldn't want my kids around that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think if anybody's going to be able to figure this out, then it's it's got to be Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, where everybody that's played there says there's just a different level of business when you walk in there. And yes, what Jake is saying is he's sending a message via the media to Antonio Brown. Listen, this team is damn good, as they proved last night, without Antonio Brown. So that shenanigans is not going to happen in, in New England, as we well know. One, one other thing there, Paige, like best case scenario is they blow out the Steelers, who by all accounts, everybody kind of jumped on the hype train like like us in the last couple weeks. And the Steelers are in my – they're fine. Like the Bears and the Packers and the Steelers, they're fine, people. Relax. Like that's not going to happen every week. They got some stuff to fix. The best case scenario for the Patriots was they did this without A.B. So if there's any antics at all, they ain't putting up with anything. He'll put his ass back out on the street in a minute and go, dude, we, we beat the Steelers 33-3 in a banner-dropping ceremony from last, winning last year's Super Bowl without your ass. So don't think for a second we need you more than we – you know what I mean? Like it's the best-case yeah. scenario for them. It was the best-case scenario for them. Jamie, what's your fantasy outlook here with Antonio Brown, seeing as you know where he got drafted was kind of all over the place because this news, depending on when you drafted – this news was, you either knew some of it, you knew all of it, you knew, obviously we didn't have the Patriots news when anybody drafted, but it's, it, depending on where you were in the draft cycle, you got him anywhere from the end of the first round to sometimes I saw people tweeting at me to the beginning of the fourth round. I mean, there's there's a lot of wiggle room here with AB. 
AB will be as good as AB wants to be in New England. This is simple. He is going to be put in a scenario to be extremely successful if he decides he wants to be extremely successful and buy in. Uh, AB's not going to be able to freelance the way he was freelancing in Pittsburgh in New England. It's not going to happen. He won't play if that's what he's going to do. But if he buys in and says, you know what? I, you know what I like a lot? I like winning and I like money. He can make a lot of both if he just buys in for the rest of this season in New England because he can put up some pretty decent numbers and have a lot of success and have a shot to win a Super Bowl. And then he can go make a lot more money and fool some other team out of $30 million in you know nine months. So yeah. he'll be successful as he wants to be. As far as fantasy value, I think if you got him where most people did, which was somewhere in that like mid to late second round, that he's going to end up returning that sort of value because he's in a much better situation. He obviously didn't play for you week one. He's going to be limited a bit in week two. So at the end of the year, he's probably going to provide you, assuming he finishes the year on this team, he's going to probably provide you that late second round value. You're probably going to get a dollar for the dollar you invested on by the end of the year. Uh, but there's inherent risk here because him and a guy for different reasons like Josh Gordon – would any of us be shocked if we're at Thanksgiving and neither one of those players are on the Patriots? Would we be shocked? No. I wouldn't. No. no, not at all. Not at all. But my question to you guys is, because it is the the hot topic in the NFL, do you think AB fits here? Do you think he makes it work? Do you think he gets his act together? And do you think Bill Belichick does a Bill Belichick and gets him to buy into the New England Patriots culture, Jake? Yeah, because there's a guy that AB trusts in Josh Rosenhaus. Who's already told him, yeah, there was other people that were interested, but nobody can resurrect your career if you'll just shut the hell up and play football like Bill Belichick and the Patriots. AB doesn't trust a lot of people, but he trusts Rosenhaus. And I think there's definitely an internal thing in AB's team saying, dude, put down everything, play 16 games, and we'll make some jack again, like you just said. I absolutely think if there's anybody that can do it, it's there. If he doesn't, he ruins his legacy. He actually, in my opinion, risks being a first ballot Hall of Fame or maybe the Hall of Fame altogether, depending on his, yeah. how his legacy ends. Because he should play another four years and put up another four or 5,000 yards. But he's at risk. He's, he's risking all of that. 100%. You can't, you can't release a tape of your head coach. Uh, like he By the did. way, the Raiders have all the right in the world to prosecute his ass, and they laughed about it, and Gruden said, no, we're not going to do anything. That is illegal in the state of California to audio tape to a conversation, private conversation without the written consent of both parties. Criminal. Yeah, I, yeah, no, it's criminal. And uh, I know that everybody was telling, you know, was very excited by the fact that it was very well produced. But if I was a video videographer, I would have told you, uh, yeah, I don't want to be involved in this criminal act, Antonio. I don't, I don't know if this is, uh, I don't know if this is your best move. Jamie, same question for you. Well, the funniest part to me about the video was that he filmed himself his own B-roll in a Raiders <laughs> uniform. Like, dude, you haven't been on the field. Like, you you took – you got into full gear and you just filmed your own B-roll? Like, uh, uh, dude's a lunatic, uh, which we already knew ahead of time. Look, to me, this is uh, – they're different situations. They're different points that they got here. But this is the most talented player that Bill Belichick has taken a risk on since Randy Moss. Uh, and we have seen this work in some forms. We saw it work with Randy. We saw it work with Corey Dillon. Uh, we've seen it also not work with guys like Albert Hainsworth. And it didn't work with like Chad Johnson. Uh, look, there, there are a lot of things that go into this equation. But to me, the, the factor here is Antonio Brown. Because if he wants to buy in, 
he's going to be extremely successful because he's still incredibly talented and he's in an awesome situation with a Hall of Fame quarterback and plenty of weapons around him. If he's not going to buy in, the Patriots aren't going to put up with the crap the Raiders put up with for as long as they did, even for the $9 million that they guaranteed him. Like, no. it, it doesn't matter. So if A.B. wants to be a good citizen for whatever his motivations are, whether it's financially, whether it's legacy, whether it's he just likes Tom Brady more than he likes Derek Carr, whatever it might be, it's all about Antonio Brown, period, end of story. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's going to be really interesting to watch the storyline uh, throughout this NFL season. It's just there's going to be a lot to a lot to process. But the scary thing is, if it does work out, right? If Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown can both keep it together, this offense has a lot of firepower. So let's talk about Brady now because nobody really had Brady very high from a fantasy perspective going into the season. Uh, now, obviously, with Antonio Brown, after watching Sunday Night Football, after seeing Josh Gordon take take part in the offense, what are your what are your evaluations, Jamie? I'll go to you first. What are your evaluations of Tom Brady now, from specifically a fantasy perspective? Well, he's in QB one territory now. He's in that mix of you know he's not a top three or top four guy for me, but he's in that mix from about you know five to twelve where. On any given week, he can spike. And, and now, you know, he was a guy that was hanging on to the top 20 before that, that he is very much in starter territory in one QB leagues going forward. And, you know, look, if you have an, if you had an injury or you're maybe you're not feeling as great about, you know, your pickup of Ben Roethlisberger or Phillip Rivers or somebody like that, uh, you know, he's a guy that you can now go out and target. Uh, but you, again, it's still the quarterback position. There's still a lot of players that are going to have a lot of success there. Uh, I don't think you change your mind too much, but he now is in that mix of QB ones that you start every single week in single quarterback formats. Yeah, I think it's simple. I put him up in the Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan category, just behind those top three guys. I think they can run it if they want to run it, but if they can't, they could throw James White in the field and go three wides and light anybody's ass on fire. The offensive line looked better than I thought they were going to. Isaiah Wynn came back off that injury last year, the first-round pick from Georgia from two years ago. Looked spectacular. Looked super athletic with great light feet. Um, I put him up in, in that, that top. He's right there, four, five, or six for me. I, I think his sky is huge. Jake already yeah. selling his guy. Jake selling his, his guy because he's, he's trying to hype, trying to hype so he uh, he can trade and finagle. But I, don't, I appreciate the hustle because, listen – Brady with this offense, they look pretty damn good on Sunday night football. And it's hard to imagine that after that performance, you add Antonio Brown to that offense. And listen, if it all clicks, that could be a really, really scary offense. To and try. they don't play anybody. Also, no, that. they don't play a, They don't play a playoff game <laughs> to week nine. <laughs> like, yeah. They play nobody. There's also that. Yeah. It's a, if you take a look at their schedule and it looks pretty favorable for the uh, New England Patriots. Uh, let's get into some of these injuries uh, overall. There's quite a few that I want to get into here. Darius Geis had an MRI this morning on Monday and on his non-ACL knee, so on the other knee, right? He's going to miss some time, and, and that's obvious. We talked about this going into the season. Darius Geis, when you have an ACL injury, it's always concerning. This is the other knee now. So this is not great news for Darius Geis owners, and he didn't look all that good to begin with. Jake, what are your thoughts here for, for Darius Geis owners? Yeah, it's scary. And I'm not saying this is the case, but it's it's really crazy to me how many guys come off an ACL and tear the other one. Tyron Matthew. I was playing with Jamal Anderson two years after he tore his, and he tore the, he tore the, the, right, you know, the other one, the opposite leg. Uh, and I don't think that's the case, but just like we talked about with McKinnon, 
we talked about with Cook last year, coming off an ACL, you're going to have hamstring issues. You're going to have other stuff that tweak in that first year. And he didn't look that good. He looked good enough in the last preseason game or third preseason game. Enough that they put Adrian Peterson on the bench for a healthy scratch for the first time in his career. Thank God they still got him. But it's enough for me that I'm dropping. I had him on my bench just to wait and see, and I'm already trying to drop him and move on. Uh, Chris Thompson looks like a better play at 10 targets in that game. Uh, I would be highly concerned that he's going to have any, any consistent productivity. It me, president of the Chris Thompson fan club for the third year in a row. But I'll get to that in a second. Um, <laughs> yeah, Darius, look, we, we have seen overcompensation injuries happen coming off major injuries to the leg where you, you have, you've been overcompensating just in life. You know, you got to walk around and be a human being too. I think we always think about this from a I can tell you what that's like. Yeah, yeah, you know better than anybody, Jake. Like you have to walk around and be a human being and, and, and do things and it's natural to overcompensate with your other leg when you're dealing with a major injury that's preventing you from using the, 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 the injured one. So uh, he's droppable to me. Uh, I've talked all season. I thought he was a flex play at best. Uh, I still wanted to see him. This was going to be a crowded backfield. I know Adrian Peterson was scratched in week one, but I imagine even if Geis was completely healthy going into week two, that Adrian Peterson would have been active for that game as well. Uh, to me, you can kind of cut him and move on. I think this is going to be a several-week injury. Most leagues don't have – most leagues have an IR spot, but I don't think this is going to be an IR situation for Darius Geis. So I don't really want to tie up a bench spot going forward. Uh, Chris Thompson, as I said all, all year, is, is for his value is the back you want Washington because they're going to be – they weren't actually down a lot in this game, surprisingly, because they got up to that early lead. But he's going to be the guy that's catching a ton of passes out of the backfield. He got seven catches in this game for 68 yards. So. Keenum threw for 380 on a good defense. Keenum? Yes, like, dude, we talked about it last week. Jay Gruden can coach football, people. And Case Keenum's a better player than people give him credit for. Like, Absolutely. Case, again, you're not, you'll, you'll never, you're not going to win a Super Bowl because of Case Keenum, but Case Keenum can – you can win a Super Bowl with Case Keenum. Like that's my thought. And that's the same thought I have with a guy like I Dak agree. Prescott, which we'll talk about later, is he's not going to win you the Super Bowl. And they're different players. I'm not – I would take Dak over Case Keenum. But I'm just saying he's in this class of quarterbacks that will get you exactly what the talent level of your team indicates. He just deserves a more respect, right? And and so does Jay Gruden, as as we talked about on previous podcasts. That they, they he co- he hell of a coach, uh, and for whatever reason, uh, Case Keenum, although he had such a fantastic season not that long ago with the Minnesota Vikings, just continues to kind of be overlooked as a as not only a decent fantasy option, but a pr- pretty decent quarterback in, in real life. It, it was uh, funny a, because a, the the announcers made a, some Freudian slips, and I made some slips as well, looking at him wearing the C at number eight on that jersey. The, the phrase Kirk Cousins got thrown out there a lot by accident, but he, he looked like Kirk Cousins out there in that Redskins <laughs> uniform. Well, it's a testament to what happens with Jay Gruden and, and obviously what a quarterback he has there. Uh, another injury I want to get into here, Devin Funches, uh, broken clavicle will go on the IR. So the Indianapolis Colts, are just from a general, right, we'll talk about Devin Funches here and, and obviously going on IR. If you don't have an IR spot, which I know some people do, then you're going to drop him at yeah, this drop point. Him. How how overall this offense though, because we collectively they lost the game, but we collectively I think we're a little bit higher on Jacoby Brissett and this offense in general. What did what were your takeaways from a fantasy perspective from this Colts offense and obviously Devin Funches's injury going forward, Jake? Dude, Marlon Mack ran for 175 yards. This yeah. offensive line is legit. I told you T. Y. Hilton wasn't going to be a bust. His value wasn't going to go away. He's still the number one guy there. Brissett can play. I had him at 11 or 12 wins with Andrew Luck. I still had him at 9 or 10 with Brissett. The defense was solid. We're talking about the Chargers, who have had some injuries. They had some stuff to overcome, but they were a Super Bowl pick by damn near all of us. 
going in. Hell of a game. Chargers pulled it out. But and the biggest thing with the Funches injury is I think Eric Ebron, who had nothing of a game, who we are all spot on now, and we said if Funches gets hurt, Ebron is going to be split out more. I think Ebron's value goes up because he's playing more of a receiver role like he did a year ago. Yeah, he's going to have to because they don't really have another spot for that role. Deion Kane is not the guy for that spot. I thought we were going to see a little bit more from Jack Doyle in this game. He only had that one yard catch. I mean, Hilton was a monster. Mack was a monster. You know that. Uh, you're starting those guys every single week. So I guess if you were worried about it with the QB change, no, you don't have to be worried anymore. And on the other side, apparently Austin Eckler is the greatest running back in the history of football. <laughs> in, in we'll talk about football. Him you were high game. on him. I had questions, but dude, he carried the load. He did, yeah, and yeah, we'll I don't talk expect about him to, in our top five. Yeah, I don't expect to have that type of game, that exactly that game going forward. But uh, I, I, you know, just just talking about the game a little bit. I mean, Keaton Allen did what we've all expected. Uh, supreme, still supremely <clears throat> underrated. Uh, Mike Williams got hurt too. That's one of the other injuries uh, on the other side. We don't know what's going on with his knee. Didn't really play much in the second half. Only had a couple catches. So. Not great for the Mike Williams owners, just thinking back to his injury history. Yeah, as I say, injury history there was, would concern me moving forward a little bit with that because I was expecting a big year from Mike Williams. So the the latest on Mike Williams is that it's the knee, but he was walking around post-game uh, and, and told everybody he feels pretty good. It'll be something to monitor all week long, but definitely not uh, some of these other major injuries that we're talking about. It does seem to be minor, at least at this point. Uh, guys, but from the stick, sticking with this game for a second, one of the things we talked about was that, you know, the overall kind of perspective with the Colts was like, they don't really necessarily have a shot to win this division as much anymore. That wasn't how we all felt. Now that you've seen the Jaguars, right? We're going to, we're is there any more thought process here that this could still be kind of the Colts division to lose? I know we got to watch the Texans tonight, but is there any, is there any more thought process that we like the Colts maybe a little bit more than we, than we even thought, although we were higher on them than everybody else. I, I said they still could win the division at eight and eight, nine and seven. I mean, if you watched yesterday and you went overreaction Monday, the Titans are winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> they look they look damn good. Uh, I mean, if you're judging off this weekend, you'd have to say it's the, the Titans and the Colts and the Titans are winning the division. I think I think the Titans still have a chance to be eight and eight. I don't think they'll get there, but I don't I don't see any reason to back off the Colts still being in that eight and eight, nine and seven range. Yeah, I, I don't think this division's anyone's to lose. There is no favorite in this division, in my opinion. And I think they all have a pretty equal shot of getting there. Uh, you know, again, maybe the Titans are now moving up into having a more equal shot because I really thought the other three teams had a, a step up on them. But boy, I mean, if the, 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 we'll talk about Titans in a little bit, but if that defense continues to play at that level, it might not matter who their quarterback is. The quarterback play might not even be a factor uh, in the equation. But no, look, the Colts have a chance to win this division, but they're not a Super Bowl team as, as currently constructed, but they're going to be competitive. No. So let's talk about that game because Baker Mayfield, the next on my injury list was to talk about Baker Mayfield's wrist uh, day to day. It doesn't look like it's uh, that big of a deal, but what is a big deal is that that offense looked uh, horrendous. That offensive line looked very bad. uh, And the Titans were able to defensively scheme up and look much better. Like Jamie just alluded to, it may not matter that Marcus Mariota isn't all that good uh, because this team might be, from a coaching perspective and a running game perspective and a defensive perspective, they might play so good that they just need average at best quarterback play. Jamie, what were your takeaways from from this game? Uh, That 
at some point that maybe I am underestimating just how good of a coach Mike Rabel is and how good that defense is because I've been very yes. I've been very critical of the Titans and not of the defense or Mike Rabel. I've just been critical that I think when you have a quarterback that actively hurts your team, it becomes very difficult to be a playoff team. Uh, and I think we saw that with like a team like Jacksonville last year. Uh, but boy, I mean, that team came out ready to play. Uh, I was extremely impressed with that defense. I thought they ran the ball pretty well. Uh, look, Derek Henry's not going to have a 75-yard touchdown catch every week. I know people are freaking out about that. But uh, he did what you expected on the ground, 19 carries, 84 yards, and touchdown. I think that's going to be your typical Derrick Henry week there. I uh, thought we'd see a little bit more from Deion Lewis, but they weren't losing this game. So he's just not going to be a player that's out there in a lot of games that they're up big. A.J. Brown looked good in his three catches, but I'd like to see him get a little bit more targets. Everybody's going to be limited in that receiving game just because of what Marcus Mariota does and doesn't do. But, I mean, the story here is just I don't know what this Browns team was expecting. They, I mean, I this wasn't going to be an easy game for them. They were expecting that score to be reversed, and they got their asses kicked. Look, this was never going to be an easy game for them, but they shouldn't lose this game by 30 30 points they lost this game at home after that offseason, after that hype. Three fourth-quarter interceptions by Baker Mayfield, including a pick six. Like, a brutal performance for the Browns. A couple things scare me, and I warned you about how bad this offense looked, and Baker in particular in week three of their preseason. He played the whole first half. He was extremely inaccurate. Their offensive line was garbage. It was garbage yesterday. Baker was extremely inaccurate yesterday. He was running for his life. Yes, but he was extremely inaccurate. They did not look good. The other thing that we need to touch on is they had 18 penalties. Yes. 18. For 18. More penalties than points for all those guys. Not ideal. Not ideal. So with a team with all these egos and all this swag and all this, you better get it under control because that points to leadership and coaching. If they're going to have this many penalties, if we're going to just go out and do whatever we want, it's not going to be the last time they get their ass kicked. I have serious concerns. I've got my maybe teams, and my teams are going to be fine. I said the Bears, the Packers, Steelers, they're going to be fine. They'll figure it out. The maybe teams, the Browns, the Seahawks, I'm going to put the Ravens in there because we all told you they were going to blow the Dolphins out, but pump your brakes if you think that offense is going to look like that every week. And the Falcons, there's serious concerns on those teams. Yeah, and I think the you see Delaney Walker obviously with a uh, with a shout out to the late Denny Green, uh, awesome, which was fantastic, right? And and the this is what the Browns have done to themselves. Every team is going to circle the game where they're playing the Browns because they got so much hype, and they every other commercial is featuring Baker Mayfield. This is what has happened. Now that Titans defense was prepared; they had circled that game. And Jamie, you texted me about it at the draft all the way back in, in April. Kevin Byron and I sat down and he said to me, I am going to pick off Baker Mayfield. I can't wait to play him in April. And he that defense was they were ready. They wanted it. And that's going to happen a lot for this team because they're talking a lot. And if you talk a lot, you better be able to back it up. And right now, uh, they're in that, like, like Jake said, I'm, it, you don't want to overreact too much on a Monday but a home game to a team that not everybody expected to be all that good, and you got your butt whooped. Not a great. It's definitely not great in Cleveland right now. Well, I saw Twitter and it was uh, disastrous. Putting it lightly. Well, let's talk about next week's game because this got a, a whole lot more interesting. They're going into New York on prime time, and guess who? Guess who's the guy that's going to be drawing up some blitzes? The guy who thought he should have been your head coach. 
is going to be drawing up blitzes yep. against Baker Mayfield. And that Jets defense is better than people think because Greg Williams will always get more than his, the sum of the talent on that team right now. But talent-wise, I've said they might be the best defense up the middle in the assuming NFL. Even though C.J. Mosley went out of that game and may yeah, not play Monday assuming night. Assuming Mosley plays, of course. Uh, but that's all of a sudden an extremely interesting game uh, on that front because the reality was most of us had the Browns, despite the issues that they had and despite overhype, we thought they would be 2-0 and coming out of these first two games and then run into some trouble later on. If they come out of these first two games 0-2, they should be a little bit worried because that division, again, we t- we'll talk about them later. The Bengals aren't as bad as people think. They're nope. lucky they didn't lose any ground on the Steelers because the Steelers also got blown out week one. Uh, the Ravens are going to be decent. Like This is going to be tough. Like The Browns are not going to be able to dig themselves out of this out of a hole if they don't bounce back in prime time this coming week. No, this that Jets game is going to be a difficult game. And and it, that defense is going to be, like I said, every defense is going to be ready to play and every defense is going, going to want to shut Baker Mayfield down because if you're paying attention at home, I am not exaggerating. He is on every other NFL commercial. He is on he is more sponsorships than I think I've ever seen with anybody that hasn't been a top-tier NFL player uh, just based off of one half of a but, season you know, and so is Patrick Mahomes, last year. And so is Patrick Mahomes, and he went out through for 300 yards and three touchdowns in the first half. That's so, exactly right. On the you road. Can, Patrick can, Mahomes was also the MVP and played all 16 games. No, what I'm year. saying is it's not because he's doing commercials. It's because you got to no. go out and prove it. And one of the quarterbacks no. did. So, look, listen, I love Baker. Listen, I'm, love I'm Baker. all for talking the talk. I'm all for talking the talk. You just better show up and walk the walk. Because if you're going to talk ahead of the game, you got to show you got to show up and you got to play. And, and they just got completely blown yes, out, specifically and, Baker. You guys know I love Baker. I hated the post-game press conference. I know what the men in this locker room are going to do. I know how we're going to bounce back. I, dude, there's a bunch of fingers pointing at you for the first time and, in that locker oh, room. Don't think for a second they weren't going, dude, our quarterback played like crap. And, and our offensive line was god-awful. We got to play better. This kid was running for his life. But I'm going to pump your brakes a little bit on that. They haven't won a damn thing. That's the problem. I don't care. Like Ben Roethlisberger can come out in a press conference and call people out and say, I know how we're going to respond because he's got rings on his finger and more division championships than you can count. The Browns haven't won jack shit. So until they start winning, (laughs) again, I love Baker and I love his attitude and I love his swagger. This is not a criticism of Baker, but this is a criticism of you haven't won anything yet. You don't have the right you don't have the privilege to stand there and say, I know how we're going to respond or I know that you haven't done anything yet. You have to go out there and prove it. And that's been the biggest thing we said about it. there's a ton of talent on this team, but you haven't done anything with it yet. You have a chance to go on and prove it. If you come out in New York in prime time with people saying, you know, look, whoa, maybe we should back off the Browns and have a great performance. I'm going to feel a lot better about this team that they can actually respond to some adversity. If they don't, they have massive problems. That's exactly why you heard Delaney Walker say, if you want to crown them, crown them. And obviously talking like Denny Green did back in the day, because this team did not deserve a crown for winning an offseason because they didn't win any football games to prove to you that they were should be a Super Bowl favorite. All right, continuing on with a couple of other injuries that are major and could have significant impact. Juju Smith-Schuster on Sunday Night Football has a toe injury set to be day-to-day. But, Jake, I know you wanted to discuss it because the toe injuries could sometimes linger, especially with wide receivers. Yeah, I'm going to go back to Baker's first, too. Don't think that a quarterback's wrist, even if it's a bruise, is not a big deal. 
if he doesn't feel 100% Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when he's been inaccurate in the preseason in game one, it could be a big deal because he might not get all the reps that he wants this week getting ready for Monday Night Football. Luckily, they got an extra day. Juju and a toe. You're talking about a speed guy, cut guy, powerful, bigger guy. Those toes, if you start hearing the word turf toe, and if you don't know what that is, go Google it. It is the spraining of the ligament in your big toe. Everybody out there listening, wiggle your toes, lift your big toe. If that hurts, it hurts to walk and run. It can be a big deal. Now, they can shoot that up, but it's not something you want to do every week because it loosens the joint, it weakens the joint. It's something to definitely pay attention on. I hated to see it because they were still playing hard at the, at the end of the game with the game out of hand. And Juju's that kind of kid that's going to do whatever the coaches want and go out there and play his tail off, and he was. Um, I, I hate to see it, but I would definitely pay attention to it because it could be something that lingers for a month to six weeks. All right. The other injury I want to talk about here, because this is a major one, uh, Tyreek Hill and the clavicle slash his shoulder. He went to the emergency room, had didn't have to have surgery, but had his shoulder put back in, as it has been reported, uh, multiple weeks, but could end up being an IR situation. They're basically going to evaluate over the next 48 hours and decide whether or not they need to designate him for IR. This Chiefs offense looked really good. Uh, Sammy Watkins looked really open, but Tyree Kill not being out there has a major impact on this overall offense. Jake, what do you think this injury uh, is going to do to this offense, and how do you evaluate it differently without Tyreek? Because we know he's not going to be there for at least a few weeks. Yeah, I need clarification on what it is. Because if it's a clavicle injury, now you're talking about a broken collarbone, to put it mildly or simply. Uh, if they put it back in, you're talking about a dislocation type of situation, which I think is a better situation for a receiver that can not take as many hits, go down. Um, the way that he plays, he would have to change a little bit. But if it's a taking any hit could break that collarbone, either way it's huge for this team because he's going to miss a couple weeks. And the reason Sammy Watkins had such a big game is because Tyree Kill was drawing Jalen Ramsey and a lot of that defense. So I, I think it's really going to affect them moving forward. I don't think he's going to miss a ton of time if it's the, the you know if it was a dislocation type thing if it was a that in a combination of a collarbone thing you could be looking at a month and they might have to move on and put him on IR. Yeah, it's got to see what it is because th- it seemed to me the way the initial reports came out that this this clavicle injury if it is that was very similar to what happened to Danny Amendola a couple of years back, which is why he had to go to the hospital because if it breaks inward. It threatens the arteries and other internal organs that are in that area. It's a much more dangerous injury than if it breaks outward or just has like a hairline fracture. Um, that's why, you know, so when we heard the term hospital, that's the first thing I thought that this was a Danny Amendola situation from a couple of years back. Uh, so we'll see what this ends up being. Um, you know, if it's that type of injury, then it's going to be several weeks because there is serious. I mean, the word with Danny Amendola time was the word life threatening was used in terms of what the injury was. So, if that is a similar injury, then they're going to have to wait, and the timeline is going to be a little bit longer uh, than if it's going to be a typical separated shoulder, which then you're more worried about re-injury and re-separations. Or a guy like Anthony Miller last year, I think, separated his shoulder five different times during the season. Uh, but this let me no- read to you, let me read to you guys from the athletic trainer. That way, you guys have the the most because the the reports have come differently from Schefter and PF. They've they've kind of all been all over. But this is directly from the athletic trainer. Uh, Tyreek Hill had an injury in the game where he landed on his shoulder. He had a sternal clavicular joint injury, which is where your clavicle comes into your sternum. Those can be injured coming out the front, up top, or in the back. So that's if you. 
it kind of sounds like it might be what happened, Jamie, what you were discussing, which is why he had to go to the hospital because people were trying to figure out why exactly he would have to go to the hospital um, in this case scenario. So it's kind of all over the place. It is the latest from rap sheet is that they're, they're discussing, they're discussing whether or not he's going to have to go on IR. So it does seem like it is a significant injury. Yeah, I mean, if that's the case, I mean, the impact on the Chiefs' offense is massive. I mean, they're still going to be a good offense, but this offense has not been the same, uh, at least long term. And we haven't seen it yet, really, with Mahomes without Tyreek Hill, so we want to see what it looks like. It was definitely a lot different with Alex Smith at QB when Tyreek Hill was in and out of the lineup. Uh, you know, look, I don't expect Sammy Watkins to put up 200 yards and three touchdowns every single game, but... Uh, no, but he looked like the Sammy Watkins coming out of Clemson looked like a first-round pick that those feet injuries of his might be in the past. He looked a lot more explosive than I've seen him cutting on a dime. He looked good. I think he could take over the number one role. And for he was getting games. open over a couple really darn good corners in Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye. I mean, he was he's not yes. going to face a better cornerback duo uh, this year, but he's just got to stay healthy. He just has to stay healthy. It's always been the thing with him. One thing to note with the Chiefs, too, is, is LaShawn McCoy, we were all questioning what he would be, and he definitely impacted Damian Williams' fantasy day. But I think it's a huge pickup for them because he can actually do some of the Tyree Kill stuff in the slot, the motion, comeback. They can get really creative of how much LaShawn McCoy plays. He looked rejuvenated. I don't think he can carry a huge load, but I think he's going to continue to impact Damian Williams. But I think he might be able to take over some of the stuff that Tyree Kill does. Yeah, they're going to have to because it does, at a minimum, Tyreek Hill is going to be out for multiple weeks. Um, and, and we will continue to monitor that, obviously, probably by Wednesday or at least Friday's show, maybe have uh, the specific designation. The last injury here, Tevin Coleman, ankle injury. It looks like it's going to be multiple weeks. Guys, what is what is your fantasy outlook uh, for, Tevin, for Tevin Coleman? Uh, my, my thoughts on Tevin Coleman are that, I mean, you got to keep him on your bench because I still think he's got – significant upside in that 49ers offense, but it's really going to be the Matt Breida show from now on. And maybe Raheem Mostert's going to have some play there as well. Uh, I mean, Breida is going to be, this is the same thing we dealt with in San Francisco last year in the backfield of, we just had these injuries that popped up throughout the season and Kyle Shanahan was going to ride with whatever the hot hand was going to be. I think that's going to happen right here again. Uh, But I, I don't, I don't think you dropped Kevin Coleman at this point, even if it's going to be several weeks. No, I don't think you drop him, but Brita looked better. Brita's faster. Uh, but Brita got nicked up in the first half of that game, too. Mostert looked good. Or Mostert, um, you know, he's big, physical, a little bit bigger than one before physical. I, I think you're, it's, you hit the nail on the head. All three of them are going to play, and Kyle's going to scheme it up for anybody because he didn't really care, you know, what's going on. He's trying to get yards. All right, I want to get into hype or not. So these are guys that ended up I'm, – I'm, there's one that's outside the top five. He's number six. But these are the top five in scoring. The only person that was in the top five that everybody forecasted was Christian McCaffrey, who came in at number two overall in scoring over the weekend. But number one overall, Sammy Watkins. I know we talked to a, a little bit about it because of the Tyreek Hill injury. Uh, but, Jamie, are, what's your fantasy outlook on Sammy Watkins going forward? I'm, I'm semi-buying the hype. Um, I, I think he's legitimately in wide receiver two territory now. But I don't want to get burned on this. We've been burned on Sammy Watkins so many times in the past. Uh, obviously, he's a great play the next few weeks, but we want to see how he can sustain it. Can he stay healthy? How long is Tyreek Hill out? All those things are big factors. But I think if wherever you took Sammy Watkins, he's going to be a tremendous value for you, especially over the rest of this month of September. Yeah, not hype. When you're talking about a top 10 pick coming out of Clemson that was an absolute freak. 4-3 guy, big physical guy, can run it after the catch, all that stuff. He hasn't looked like that his entire career. Had all these these foot injuries. 
he did not look like he had any issues at all. He, I mean, he caught a pass from the sidelines and stopped on a dime as the, the linebacker came flying past and made a little run after the catch. He hasn't been able to do that. But you're talking about the talent has always been there. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm a little cautious, but I'm buying the hype that he can still be a 1A in this offense. And they don't really have a true receiver. Tyreek Hill is so unique that Sammy Watkins can still be a number one outflank playing the X, playing the Y. Um, in that offense, so I'm, I'm buying the hype more than more than I'm not buying it. Yeah, I'm I'm halfway between, right? I I'm I'm with Jamie here. I think I'm I'm cautious, cautiously optimistic because I've seen and been burned by Sammy Watkins in the past. I still want to see what this offense is going to look like and what Sammy's going to look like without Tyreek Hill getting so much of the uh, of the defense paying attention to him and and what that's going to look like for Sammy Watkins. I don't think he's going to repeat what he did last weekend. I just no. it's almost statistically impossible for that to happen, but I do think he's going to be better than we all forecasted going into the season. All right, number two here, Deshaun Jackson looked pretty damn happy to be back in Philadelphia. Jake, I'll go to you first here. You do you are you buying into Deshaun Jackson with the Eagles? I am. I, I'm not buying into that it's going to be like that every week. But he looked like a well-rounded number two that was running comebacks. He was running digs. He wasn't just going deep, running a post. Now he did that and he caught a couple bombs. And Carson Wentz looked damn good and was healthy in the second half. They looked awful in the first half. But when you got Ertz out there. And Jeffrey looked really good. Aguilar was in the slot. He was the guy that didn't really have a huge day. But Deshaun Jackson may be the best overall deep threat in NFL history. Don't hit me with the Randy Moss stuff. Of course, Randy Moss Hall. I'm just talking about a a complimentary player that goes deep and he's been to take the top off the defense guy. I don't know that there's ever been a better one. And at 32 years old, he can still flat out run. So, yes, I'm buying the hype because I think they're going to need him in this offense. Uh, I am too. I, I've been buying the hype all offseason. I've been higher on Deshaun Jackson than consensus uh, among the fantasy analysts all offseason. I don't expect him to have eight catches every single day. Like that's not going to be his game. But he does look like a looks like he's at least trying to be the the complete receiver that he's shown he can be at times when he's motivated, and he's been very motivated there in Philadelphia. Carson Wentz is going to throw it up to him. They're not going to have this easy of a matchup every single week where they're they're and not only this easy of a matchup, but the building where they have to throw deep uh, early and often in this game because they were down. But I, I am high on him this year, and I think he's somebody that you're going to want to put in your flex spot a lot of weeks and understand that, yeah, he's going to give you some of those two for 19 weeks, but he's also going to give you some of those four for 110 yards and two touchdown games. You just have to know what not as Not as much in the past, though, because like when I saw the back shoulder and the comeback and the dig, that's not just taking the top off when he's only going to get those three deep shots a game, right? I think there's going to be – six, seven, eight targets every week. So maybe he does have a really bad week where it's two or three catches, but I think he's going to be in that five, six, seven catch territory every week. Yeah, he looked he looked really good. Uh, listen, he never wanted to leave Philadelphia. Chip Kelly was the one who, who let him go, and he looks really very happy to be back in Philadelphia. Number three here, John Ross. Listen, we talked about Cincinnati, and we talked about this team being better uh, than everybody expected them to be. Uh, they proved us right in their game that they played. Jamie, your thoughts on John Ross and his outlook going forward? I'm still waiting to see on John Ross. He looked like a completely different human being. I don't know who was wearing that number. Ele- I don't know who was wearing that number eleven jersey, but I hadn't seen that John Ross in a long, long time. Uh, I hope so. He's going to have the opportunity with AJ Green being out. Um, you know, he's going to have that opportunity to be on the field in those situations. He was running all sorts of routes. He was running in the middle of the field. He was. I mean, I just. That looked like a completely different football player to me. So I'm very optimistic. He's somebody I definitely want to add and put on my bench this week and see what's going on going forward. But 
cautiously optimistic because I don't want to overreact to one big John Ross game, but he looked significantly different. This wasn't just, oh, we had a big game. I'm always going to buy the hype when the guy was a first-round pick and has that kind of talent and is now healthy. Jamie, you saw a different guy because he's finally healthy. Now, he did drop a touchdown pass in this game, and I'm going to go with cautiously optimistic and semi as well on buying the hype. Joe Mixon's now hurt. If he misses a couple weeks with an ankle, and Andy Dalton threw for 400 yards in this game. So we already told you that Seattle's defense is not what they've been in the past. They're not as, as, as great as everybody thinks and that the Bengals aren't as bad. Now, I think John Ross's value still could be pretty high with A.J. Green back. And now you've got A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, and John Ross. And you could put A.J. Green in the slot. You can move him around. And it could get really interesting. So I'm, I'm semi-cautiously optimistic with a little bit of an upside. I agree with Jamie. Like, if you're in a deep league and he's sitting on the bench, or if he's on, your, you know, on the waiver wire, you put him on your bench, I love that play. Especially over the next few weeks while A.J. Green is out, I think he's still going to continue to be a focal point. It's, yeah. it's the, the, the talk that we have had all offseason is, listen, just because a team doesn't is there are all there are fantasy players on every team, right? And, and a lot of people, oh, I don't think that team's going to be very good, so I don't buy into any of their offensive pieces. Well, collectively, this group was higher on Cincinnati uh, in general, and I think one they proved us right, and then the, add AJ Green back, and all of a sudden this offense looks like it can be okay. I don't obviously we're not talking about a Super Bowl team; we're just not talking about a team that's like I don't know. My no, offensive team. fantasy value is there. AJ, I mean exactly. Andy Dalton threw for four hundred eighteen yards. And two yeah. touchdowns with no picks against no, Seattle, in Seattle. Yeah, on the road. Important to note there. He looked pretty pretty damn good. All right, number four here. The two guys, because they're on the same team, I'm bringing them both up at the same time. Lamar Jackson and Hollywood Brown. Listen, uh, if they could play the Miami Dolphins every week, I think this would be fantastic. But uh, how much of this Ravens offense, specifically these two guys, are you buying into? Because, yes, while I want to say it's a qualifier that they played the Miami Dolphins, it's still they still went out there, they still schemed it up, and they still put it on them. Uh, and you got to account for that at some point. Jake, what are your thoughts on those two guys? Well, I've been higher on Lamar Jackson's passing ability than just about everybody in the country. I go back and I, I've talked about he played in Bobby Petrino's offense. He was more NFL ready than people gave him credit for. They didn't really let him be him last year. And it's a rookie and you're all that kind of stuff. And they, you just ran it and used his athletic ability. He worked his tail off in the offseason at his deficiencies at the position and looked damn good. He can throw the ball. He's not an elite passer, and he didn't need to run this weekend. But when they started playing teams that can get after him, and you look at the pass protection, this game was just insane. Miami had zero pressure. The one time they did, he was still backpedaling through a touchdown pass. The, 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 the teams that can rush him, he's going to take off and run. And I, I told you the other day they're going to blow out the Dolphins. But be cautiously optimistic on this offense that it's going to continue. They're going to put stuff on film for four or five weeks, and then everybody else is going to kind of see what they're doing. Uh, they're still good. Hollywood Brown, I didn't see this coming. We all love the player coming out. Jamie loves the player coming out. But he practiced the whole freaking preseason with the foot injury. Guys don't come off of those and look that damn good. Uh, I, I think you have to be op optimistic there but still very cautious on fantasy value for Hollywood Brown in a week-to-week -week play. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Look, they have the very benefit of facing three very poor defenses right out of the gate. They go at Miami, then they're home next week against the Cardinals, and they're in Kansas City against that defense and that secondary. Uh, so I expected the Ravens, and we said this all before, we expected the Ravens to come out really hot offensively for these first few weeks and kind of fool people. It's not that Lamar Jackson can't throw. He absolutely can throw, and, and the narrative that he couldn't was, was just strictly ridiculous from the time he came out. Uh, he is a damn good football player. 
But do I think the Ravens are one of the 10 best offenses in football? I do not, even though they're going to look like it over the first month of the season. Uh, I am buying in Lamar Jackson in the sense of he's in, he's probably in that mix in that back end of that QB one territory where, you know, there are a lot of weeks like this week where I had him pretty, I had him inside my top eight. I, there are going to be weeks like that where you're like, Hey, I absolutely want to play him. And that's going to be each of the next two weeks. He's going to be inside my top eight to 10, where you're going to start him if you have him on your team. But I'm not ready to say this is going to be, this is some new trend for them. Mark Ingram looked good, but again, everybody looked good uh, in this game. You know, Hollywood Brown, they're going to take their shots. You know, he had five targets in the game, caught four of those passes, two of them for long touchdowns. He I, he might be the guy that puts up those old school Deshaun Jackson numbers, where he's going to have those weeks where he may only have two catches and they both could be for touchdowns. And there may be weeks where he's just not open. We'll see. Uh, we haven't seen a lot from him because he's been hurt this whole offseason. So I'm cautiously optimistic on, on this Ravens offense. But like I said, I'm not surprised by this. I... I I said they were going to put up a ton of points. I, this was one of my locks of the week was to take the over in this game, and it hit in the second quarter. Uh, it, it's just <laughs> – I, 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 he had a great – he had a monster game, and he deserves all the credit in the world for it. I'm just saying this is kind of what I expected to happen. So my opinion hasn't really changed. My opinion will change if we're still talking like this in week eight. Yeah, the other, the other person to note here is Mark Andrews had a big week, went over 100 yards, had a lot of targets, had a good preseason, a lot of hype going on around him. He showed up in week one. I think there's definitely something to pay attention to there and watch moving forward. He's probably not on anybody's uh, waiver wire, but if he is, something maybe to pay attention to there. Yeah, for sure. Especially in, on this show, we tell you a lot of times to wait on tight ends and potentially just play the matchups. Uh, might be one where you like the matchups, especially for the next couple of weeks. All right, last guy I want to talk about here, a guy that had the potential um, to be in this top five, but because of because of what happened surrounding this team and the Chargers, uh, a lot of question marks about whether Austin Eckler could be the guy, right? And proves in week one that he could be. Is Are you guys buying into Austin Eckler being able to take over and, and playing a huge part in this offense? Jake, I'll go to you first. I am more than I was. I really thought it was going to be a lot more of a timeshare with him and Jackson. And he's just so damn uh, explosive out of the backfield when they're playing a shotgun. But he ran it really well. Uh, I'm going to let Jamie take this one because he's been a lot higher on him than I have. But I, I'm definitely buying it now in this offense. Yeah, I mean, I'm buying it too. Uh, look, I, I don't think Austin Eckler is an, an RB1 or anything going forward. But, you know, he's, he's gonna, there are going to be Austin Eckler weeks and there are going to be Justin Jackson weeks. Justin Jackson looked damn good in the few carries that he got in that game. He averaged almost 10 yards a carry and he looked it. Uh, in a game that mattered. It wasn't like the Colts were being blown out or something and they just handed it to Jackson and they didn't really care. Uh, both backs are going to have fantasy value. Eckler is going to have more value than Jackson, which is why you drafted him there. Uh, but I think this kind of cements that Eckler can be an every week R- R- RB2 for you because if he's going to run the ball 12 times, he's going to get the catches. Like those, those, he got, what, seven targets in this game? That's happening every single game regardless. The, the fluctuation for him is going to be how many carries does he get in relation to Justin Jackson. And the more that he has success, the more they feel comfortable giving it to him because he didn't have success last year a lot of times, especially in that London game, and they pulled back the reins a little bit going forward. As long as he doesn't give them a reason to pull back the reins, you're going to start him every week in an RB2 spot, at least until Melvin Gordon shows up in week 10. (laughs) The Melvin Gordon uh, watch will continue uh, as as obviously he has not yet reported or been traded or anything has happened. It seems to be a lot less talked about 
uh, than Le'Veon Bell last year. And I think it's because uh, Mr. Antonio Brown has been overshadowing pretty much everything that has happened in the NFL, just as he wanted it to. All right, two Monday night football previews here, right? We got two games tonight uh, for the NFL 100 kickoff. The first game we're looking at is the Texans and Saints. The Saints are seven-point favorites uh, as of right now going into this game. Jake, I'll go to you first. What do you see happening in this one? Uh, I've got it 28-21, Saints. Um, the Saints offense has some stuff to prove to me. they got to prove to me who the number two receiver is. Uh, they've got some some options there, but somebody's going to have to stand up and be a clear-cut number two, a lot like the Pittsburgh situation. Michael Thomas is Michael Thomas. He's a beast. He's going to get his targets. Uh, but they got to figure out exactly how Alvin Kamara fits as the guy. Is he going to be an, a day like you saw from Christian McCaffrey yesterday where everything in the entire offense went through him? I don't think so. I think it's going to be a mixture of that with a lot of Michael Thomas, but they got to figure out how Jared Cook fits. There's going to be some growing, not growing pains because Drew Brees is amazing and so is Sean Payton. There's going to be some stuff they got to try to figure out. So I think it may start off a little slow, but I think the Saints have more firepower and a much better defense than, than the Texans. The Texans defense, I don't think they can keep pace. I think the Texans... It'd be interesting how Duke Johnson plays, uh, you know, Nuke, Fuller, all that stuff, how Deshaun Watson looks, but I think the Saints just have too much. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think the Saints cover the seven-point spread, but I just think they're better on both sides of the ball. But I'm more interested to see what happens on the Houston side. How does that backfield look? What is the, Carlo, the combination of Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson? You know, what is the, this, the snap count between those two guys? You know, how do they find the, – who's the slot receiver in Houston? I want to see how that works out. Can they somehow keep – Deshaun Watson upright. Now they got a shiny new tackle now, but that doesn't mean the rest of the line is all that better. And that tackle really hasn't communicated much with that line because he's been there for like a week and a half. Uh, so I want to see how the Texans kind of protect Deshaun Watson in this game. Uh, I want, I, like Jake, I do want to see you know who that number two option is. It's Ted Ginn right now, but you know is Traquan Smith going to be invisible in these games going forward, or is he going to have a bigger role in that offense? That's something I want to see. But uh, I think the Saints are just too good on both sides of the ball. Uh, I, they still have the two backs. I think Latavius Murray is going to be able to do what Mark Ingram did, maybe, and then some. I think they're not going to miss a beat on that side. I do want to see how much Cook is used in this offense. I want to see if this is going to be a player that we have to watch week to week or it's going to be like every other tight end that's been in New Orleans since Jimmy Graham left. Uh, so, But I have the Saints winning this game and covering the seven-point spread. Yeah, I think the I think the Saints take care of business and they and they cover the spread. I'm like Jamie. I'm, I think the biggest storyline for me in New Orleans is watching Cook from a fantasy perspective, and and the Texans are actually the team I'm most interested in watching just because I expect much of the same from the New Orleans Saints. Paige, I will say I've got a contact uh, in New Orleans that's really close to the team. And says he fully expects this to be a blowout that the Saints are going to blow their doors off. So, Ooh, okay, I, I'll throw that out there. I mean, that I, I don't agree that it's going to be a blowout, but it's interesting to, to throw out that note to somebody that's really close to the team. I mean, uh, wouldn't be surprised. I don't expect it in week one just because I haven't seen, with the exception of a few, there haven't been uh, that many, I guess. That, But the Saints at home, um, this Texans team, there's a lot of question marks around, right? I mean, we don't really know what to expect as much from them. Um, that whole division is kind of all over the map uh, as we continue to evaluate uh, each and every team. The next game is actually the game I'm most excited to watch. Uh, because one, I think collectively this group is much higher on the Broncos than everybody else's. And two, uh, the John Gruden show without Antonio Brown and what exactly is going to happen there, because you know it's going to be discussed at nauseum. 
Um, but uh, he'll have to answer some questions about it, and I'm sure it will be colorful, the answers that we get. Jamie, what are your thoughts here? The Broncos are three-point favorites on the road. Uh, well, I, I have, I've had the Broncos winning this game with without Antonio Brown. If there were two Antonio Browns on the field, if he had a helmet, he didn't have a helmet, his foot fell off, whatever it was, the Broncos were winning this game anyway. Uh, it just went from a pick to them being two-and-a-half-point favorites with the A-B news. Uh, again, I think the Broncos are better on both sides of the ball. Like, I, I just think this is very simple to me. The Broncos are going to run the ball extremely effectively. I'm really excited to see uh, you know, how, what they do there with their combination of backs. Uh, I think the – Philip Lindsay concern has gone too far. I think people have just been way more concerned with him than they needed to be, and they've kind of created this narrative around him. Uh, I do think Royce Freeman gets some work, but Devontae Booker is going to get some work as well, which is going to annoy everybody, but they're going to mix all of their backs. I'm interested to see from an Oakland standpoint two things. A, uh, how Josh Jacobs is using this offense and how often, and B, what the wide receiver situation looks like without AB. I'm happily starting Tyrell Williams in a flex spot this uh, in this game. I want to see how many targets he gets. I want to see how Hunter Renfro looks in the slot. Um, I'm interested to see how they kind of shake all of those things out. But I just have a hard time believing that uh, that the Broncos can't win this game. I just don't see what the Oakland Raiders do better than Denver, besides the fact they just happen to be at home in a place they're leaving. Yeah, I'm excited to watch Vic, uh, you know, Vic Fangio in this in this defense. I think they're going to get after Derek Carr. I'm I'm very excited to watch Josh Jacobs. I've been high on him coming out of Alabama in the preseason. I've got him in a in a, in a flex spot this weekend. Uh, I got the Broncos 24-17. This this defense is too good to lose this game. They do have uh, some things they have to figure out on offense. Um, how much it's Lindsey? How much it's Freeman? What are they going to do? They got young receivers. Got a new quarterback. I mean, there's this going to be a lot of fun. I might watch it with mute on the TV. Instead of my normal surround sound, I want to hear what they have to say because I am uh, I'm done with the A-B stuff. Yeah, uh, I don't blame you. The only reason I want to watch is is hopeful that John Gruden says something uh, very entertaining about it, which I would not be surprised. And as, and in all, it, to his credit, he deserves to say whatever the hell he wants because this situation has been an absolutely total disaster. And from the very beginning, they – whether you believe the conspiracy theories or not, the conspiracy theory is out there that Antonio Brown never intended to play for the Oakland Raiders, always wanted to go to New England because he knew that Pittsburgh would never trade him to New England. This whole thing has been a planned debacle. And uh, listen, if it was ever going to happen, it would probably happen and be the Patriots who were the team that facilitated it. Uh, Paige, I, I've heard the word genius thrown around. I am here to tell you that Antonio Brown is no genius. Now, he might be smart enough to have some really smart people around him, and we might call one of them geniuses, but Antonio Brown is no damn genius. So he ain't the one that orchestrated this whole thing. People can stop with that. Yeah, look, this stuff's been overblown. Let me me tell you what's the most likely scenario that happened here, okay? Because Antonio Brown didn't give up $30 million for $9 million. I'm sorry. Like, that's where that whole theory just just goes, gets blown to smithereens. But once it became obvious that the situation was untenable in Oakland and that his guarantees were going to be voided, and it literally at that point, he has nothing to lose. I am sure that somebody close to Antonio Brown said, hey, the Patriots would be willing to sign you if this doesn't work out in Oakland. And then at that point, with nothing to lose and no money left guaranteed, he said, you know what? Fine. Nuclear option. Instagram, release me. That's the most likely scenario because that's probably what happened. He didn't give up $21 million dollars to do this on this hasn't been a grand scheme since last january that, that's just ridiculous drew rosenhouse is his agent he's pretty damn good at what he does he also represented terrell owens 
If you see any similarities there, I'm not saying, but I'm saying. I'm not saying, but I'm saying. Uh, 24-20, back to this game. 24-20 Broncos. I think they cover the spread and they and they win the game. And we are all entertained by what inevitably becomes some quote from John Gruden. Last thing here, guys, quick takeaways from the weekend. Anything that you want to get off your chest? Jamie, I'll go to you first. And then I know I have a feeling the officials may or may not come up during Jake's rant. So you, you're going first, though, Jamie. So I want to talk about two different backfields because they've got a lot of attention in the offseason. One is in Philadelphia, and I hate to say we told you so, but we told you so. And Doug Peterson is not going to change the way he's been operating his entire coaching career. He is going to use a running back by committee. He is cannot quit Darren Sproles. He just cannot quit him. He loves Darren Sproles so very much. And that it's always going to limit Miles Sanders' upside as long as there are all these backs in the backfield. Uh, Miles Sanders didn't look awesome in the carries he got, but he, again, he got 11 carries. Sproles got nine. Uh, Jordan Howard got six. You're going to see similar splits. Now, you're going to have games where Miles Sanders gets more and and breaks one, but you have to be aware that this backfield is going to be annoying and a problem for you all season. And just assuming that that was all of a sudden going to change, I think, was, was foolish. The other one was in L.A. and with the Rams, where, you know, Todd Gurley and Malcolm Brown had a pretty even split in terms of rushing. Uh, Todd Gurley looked pretty darn good, though, in the rushes that he not got. Not in the first the half, half, he didn't. Yeah, he looked fine in the second half, though. Uh, I'm not worried about Gurley uh, any more than you were before. You weren't taking him in the top five because of the, the being limited. Malcolm Brown was in for both goal line carries, but I would still be fairly encouraged if I was a Todd Gurley owner in this game and not encouraged if I was Daryl Henderson owner, which they really didn't use him at all. Yeah, that's, that's the big one to me is, is he did not do anything. And if he was going to, it was going to be in that game because they were up for a lot of it. It didn't very close, but he was up and should have got some play. Didn't touch the field. All right, Jake, it's your turn to rant on whatever it is you'd like to rant on a takeaway from the weekend. Uh, my first thing is I'm high on the Vikings. I've been high on them the whole offseason. I, I picked them to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, that team is good. They only threw 10 passes. Filippo got fired because they threw it more than anybody's ever thrown in the NFL through 12 weeks last year. Last year, They couldn't win games. That defense is back. The Falcons are pretty good, and they beat the brakes off of them and ran it down their freaking throats. So I, I think they blew the lid off of we're under the radar, but they are pretty damn good, and if you're playing them, I'd watch out. I am very, very high on the coaching staff, the defense, the offense, and the Vikings as a whole. Um, I'm not even going to rant. I'm just going to say some things I've said in the past. The NFL for a $10 billion plus a year business has to figure out the freaking officiating. I'm talking about every game I watched, and that was a ton of them. What is a pick? What is a catch? What's pass interference? What's not? Can we please get some damn consistency? And if it's going to go to New York for review, that's where the most consistency should come from. It is absolutely absurd of what I watch in every game of how freaking bad these guys are to where I saw a game yesterday that they blew the whistle to stop because all the officials weren't in position yet. (laughs) Please do something about, can we get full-time officials? Can we get a bigger crew in New York? You can damn sure afford it. The games as a fan are getting hard to watch with the amount of flags, how long they're taking to call what the flag was. And these damn replays are, it's just absurd. Like get it fixed, put some damn consistency in there. And it always takes way too long, right? Because they don't have full-time referees. So it feels like it takes a quarter of the way through the season to get into any type of a rhythm. Um, and that a lot of it has to do with that. Nobody's, nobody's really, nobody really knows the full story uh, behind NFL officiating, unless you've listened to our podcast for the last three seasons, because Jake has, uh, I think, ranted on officiating in 
every single season. So you you definitely have heard about it. Uh, and it it listen it it and they're the same damn year. problems. Yes, it, that's the you worst put in part. a BS pass interference thing because of one play in the NFC Championship game, and then you can't be consistent on how it's implemented. It's the it's, same it, thing as an overreaction. We're going to put it in, but then from crew to crew, you have all these different things, and there's still no professionalism with it. Take former players have a minor league umpiring referee system where they're in practices every day and they're watching stuff and they already know where to look and then let them earn their way up like Major League Baseball does. It's at least going to be more consistent and more professional. And then when you get to New York, those guys have to be consistent by the letter of the law of the way that it's written. And they're not. It's just awful. Yeah, it's awful, and it's been awful for a long time, and it continues to be awful. My rant is uh, very simple. It's a rant that I've gone on before, and if you follow on Twitter, me on Twitter, you saw it yesterday. The NFL overtime rules are garbage. I hate them. Football ending in a tie is absolutely terrible because ties should not exist in sports. They go against everything that I stand for. A team should win or they should lose, and it sucks. That end rant, there's no I, – I don't even think there's any uh, – Jamie, I think last year's podcast, I think we took 15 minutes to break down all the different ways that we could change the overtime rules uh, and, and make them better. But just do something because ending in a tie sucks. It's absolutely horrible. And I know if you're an Arizona Cardinal fan, you should feel good about the tie. I know that's hard, but you should feel good about the tie because you're getting your doors blown off for three quarters and then the Detroit Lions just completely imploded on themselves. I know that's hard. And if you're Matthew Stafford, go to Daryl Bevel and say, dude, do not call timeouts anymore. Uh, Jamie, how can everybody follow you on social media? You can follow me at Jamie Eisner on Twitter and at J Eisner FFB on Instagram. But if there was one game that deserved a tie, it was that. Neither team deserved to win that game. <laughs> neither team could feel uh, just th- that was brutal. Just as bad as the Cardinals were in the first half, the Lions were in the second half. First three and, and a half quarters. Yeah, the greatest true. offense we were ever going to see for three and a half quarters had Kyler Murray in a quote after the game. I almost called the effing A's and went back to playing baseball. Yikes! He looked damn good in the fourth quarter in overtime. They're going to be exciting. They stopped the run. Carryon Johnson did nothing. We'll talk more about this Wednesday, but that one definitely deserved to end in a tie. It, uh, if there ever was, it's just so ass backwards for sports to have ties. Uh, Jake, how can everybody follow you on social media? Jake B. Arians on Twitter and Jake Arians on Instagram. You guys can follow me at the underscore sports page with an eye on both Twitter and Instagram. You can check out our rankings tomorrow morning on the draftnetwork.com. You can follow this podcast at TDN fantasy underscore on Twitter and at TDN fantasy on Instagram. Enjoy Monday night football. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.